Welcome into the first ever edition of the Last Interview Podcast. It's an idea I started. It's going to be a little side project. And the idea and the gimmick behind the podcast is if this was the last interview my guest ever does, what would the guest want to say to be part of the last interview? And um, the first guest is really the perfect uh, person for the podcast. I got a message from Fred Clare last week on LinkedIn, and I said, Fred would be perfect for this podcast. And I have the book right here with me, Fred, Extra Innings. Literally, you are in the extra innings in your life, um, as you would say. So first off, how are you doing? How are How is the family doing, especially just through this simply unprecedented time? Thanks for asking, Alex. Um, I'm doing very well. Uh, the family is doing well. Uh, we're being very cautious. We're being very safe. Um, we have the, uh, the great guidance uh, from the wonderful City of Hope medical team. And that's not unique. All of us have guidance from uh, the best in leading us through uh, the doctors, the medical uh, facilities, organizations throughout the world, uh, relying on the wonderful science of medicine. So we feel um, very blessed and I feel um, very fortunate to be the first on the last interview. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm happy to be with you, Alex, and uh, uh, certainly um, look forward to our visit and uh, We'll let you take this interview as you should, as you will, uh, wherever you want to go. Um, nothing is off the record. And I like the concept. I think it's a very important concept, Alex, mm. of thinking that for any of us, if it was the last interview, if it was the last thing indeed we said to anyone, what is it that we would want to say? And I once read a quote from someone who said, you know, it's very important to be, uh, to say what you want to say at all times, because you may very well be walking across the street and be hit by a car. And thus what you said, whether you intended it or not, will be your last words. So I love the concept, Alex, and um, uh, look forward to our visit. A follow-up to that, Fred, in your career, and we'll get into it, and I think it's certainly unheard of to be a sports writer and to then become a general manager of a Major League Baseball team. I think maybe most sports writers wish they could be GMs nowadays. How important is simply being truthful at every point, not only in your career, but just simply in life? I think it's the uh, the most Im one of the most uh, important um, characteristics that we can strive for. And being fortunate to um, have an involvement with some uh, wonderful educational institutions, USC, Long Beach State, Caltech, Fordham. Uh, I've always said to the students that the most important thing that you possess is your credibility. And 
if you lose it, it's very hard to get it back. In fact, I would say it's impossible to get it back. So the most, and the most important thing we have is our credibility. And, uh, and I've always also, as part of that, said that if you're in a position that um, you're asked a question, uh, you have the right to say uh, it's by law, really. You know, I prefer not to answer that. And that's a legitimate answer. It might be interpreted in many different ways. But it's that in itself is the truth. You prefer not to answer. Uh, to lie uh, is to do great harm uh, to yourself. And uh, I, I think that is um, critically important and as a characteristic in each and every one of us. Indeed, if it's not the top, it's got to be right near the top. Uh, and uh, and I, I know that it is. What do you value most in life? Um, I value uh, the blessing of life. I value life itself. And um, I've come into a fuller appreciation uh, when you're uh, told by doctors that your life is in jeopardy. Uh, as mine was due to cancer. Uh, it's kind of, it was rather strange, Alex. It wasn't fear that struck me. It was appreciation that struck me. And I certainly wouldn't say that's true for all. My cancer diagnosis was at the age of 80. So I, I was in a, a different timeline of life. I wasn't 20 or 30 or 40. I was 80. I had been blessed with a wonderful, wonderful life. And so for me, um, uh, it was the, um, it was two things. It was the appreciation of life and my determination to do everything I could to continue life, because uh, it's the greatest uh, value, it's the greatest blessing that we have. Where do you think that determination comes from? Because I feel like in uh, nowadays, so many people, if they experience failure early on in their lives, if they're 30 and lose their job, their life is over. Or if they're 50 and they go through something, their life is over. But for you, where you are in your point, like you said, you know, when you first got your first diagnosis of cancer, you were in your 80s and you still had that determination to continue living your life that you live. So where do you feel like that determination comes from? I think, again, that uh, I was blessed uh, and I'm not sure uh, how all of this comes about, but I've always been blessed uh, or feel fortunate to have 
a very competitive spirit, as those who know me know. Uh, I was never a, um, certainly I was never a great athlete. Uh, I was never an accomplished athlete uh, in high school or in college. My highest degree of competition was the junior varsity basketball team at the uh, Mount San Antonio College or junior college. But I was probably the first guy on the floor and I was probably one of the last to leave. Uh, I just, uh, I've always uh, uh, loved the, uh, uh, trying to do uh, whatever I do to the best of my ability. And I say blessed, I think a lot of that comes from our upbringing, influences of other people. Certainly we're blessed if we have a good foundation in our own families, but doesn't necessarily have to come from our own families. Sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's a coach, sometimes it's a friend. Those who um, really um, uh, inspire us, uh, teach us, demand of us. Um, and um, I think one of the things that if um, in the last interview, if, uh, if I thought about what was um, most important in addition to um, my family, it would be um, thanking those uh, who have helped um, me uh, in my journey. And I think that's very, very uh, important. Um, there's a, a wonderful civil rights leader who was interviewed on PBS recently, and shame on me, I can't immediately think of his name, but he was um, counsel to um, many, including uh, several presidents. And he said, and he was about my age and uh, still alive, fortunately. He said, I didn't get to this point without help. And I want to acknowledge those who helped me. None of us, uh, none, no one, I've, I believe, can achieve true success uh, without help, without uh, support, without guidance. We, we can't do that alone. In the book, Extra Innings, I, I wanted to underline this quote that Bill Regan said about you. He, he said that Fred always said, they may have more talent, but they will never outwork us. And I feel like not only will they outwork us, but you didn't let anyone outwork you. How important was that um, in your career in baseball? Well, I... Uh... Well, again, uh, was inspired by other people. And uh, the thought of, uh, of uh, 
achieving actually uh, became even more in the full view when I joined the Dodgers in 1969. I had seen it through my own life and own enjoyment of sports. But now I was getting to know some of the greatest professional baseball players in the history of the game. So I had a full view of those people who were so determined and, and I was so fortunate because I got to know many of them as they reached kind of getting close to the top level of their profession. And I could see a, a common bond for so many of them. Not all, because some got there with incredible gifts of physical ability. But I saw others who reached a level uh, because of their sheer determination to do the best that they could do to succeed. And I treasured that. Uh, and uh, I tried to uh, learn from that, uh, even in uh, the role of a general manager and determining players to join the Dodgers or to depart from the Dodgers as uh, uh, the job requires. So um, I've always um, uh, striving uh, to be the best. And um, there are so many common bonds. Uh, one of the uh, wonderful books, uh, students often have asked me about the best book uh, that they could turn to with an interest in sports. And I re reference quite often a book and the only name mentioned in the book is John Wooden. And the book is Good to Great. And Jim Collins' wonderful book, Good to Great, examines uh, top companies uh, in, the, in, in the country, in the world, I guess. And the common denominator, the common part of those uh, successful companies. And it applies really to individuals too, because there are terms like uh, the flywheel concept, where you go day by day by day, just continuing to make do your best and make progress. And there's the hedgehog concept, which I guess goes by name, or as I interpreted, of just continuing to dig. Uh, and uh, I think that was a, when I uh, was asked to give a speech on that book at the Biola University, uh, that book has nine chapters. And uh, it struck me that it was like nine innings of a game. And it struck me that it was much like the O'Malley ownership, where uh, there was such a, uh, strong work ethic and as it relates in the book itself getting the right people on the bus you have to have the right people on the bus and you you have to 
believe and you have to have everyone working together and you have to strive on a daily basis. And in Dodger days, a number of people from other teams would come to me when we were having success, when we were drawing 3 million people. And they would say, Fred, what's the secret? As if I could pull out of my desk drawer a sheet of paper and say, these are the 10 things. And uh, I would say, you know, well, we're very fortunate. I mean, let's face the facts. We're in a large metropolitan area. Uh, we have a wonderful stadium. We have a great legacy. But we work very hard. The O'Malley's, Mr. O'Malley, Walter, Peter, were um, one of the first people to arrive at the stadium. It's hard to beat their car to the parking lot. Can you imagine? Did you ever try beating them? Of course. <laughs> How many times did you do them? I mean, and, then they would, and they would stay late. So the leadership sets the example, sets the velocity. Great leaders, that's very much involved in good to great. Great leaders don't ask people to do things that they wouldn't do themselves. They don't have to give long speeches. They have to state the philosophy. But they set the example. And I have been so fortunate to have had so many great examples uh, uh, in my life. And, um, and I, I feel both blessed and I feel obligated, obligated to the extent of trying to uh, pass uh, my thoughts and my experience on to others who are earlier in their journeys. Now you bring up uh, people that inspired you. I'm sure this person did. He's on the cover of the book. Timeless Lasorda, unfortunately, recently just passed away. When you hear the name Timeless Lasorda and people that know how you worked and how Tommy worked, some people might say complete opposites. It, but you work so well together. So what would you say you learned from Tommy while being the GM of the team? Well, Tommy... Uh... Uh, I have such great respect for Tommy, but Tommy was, had a passion for what he did, a true passion. Uh, as he described himself, he was the third starting pitcher on the Norrisville, uh, Norristown, Pennsylvania high school baseball team. He literally not just willed, he drove his success from a pitcher who loved the game and reached the major leagues. And there were hundreds, I'm sure, of players with pitchers with more talent who never achieved what Tommy achieved as a professional player. He took that same, because of his passion for the game, he took that same drive into his after career life. 
which was scouting. Tommy was driven as a scout. He, he just didn't take the title of scout. Uh, Tommy would go any place at any time to find a player. And Al Campanis recognized and was friends with Tommy and respected Tommy. So he moved him into the managerial position. Not at the top, at the bottom, rookie ball. And Tommy now found really his sweet spot more than being a scout to be able to give to the players his um, full uh, commitment to them. And that's, that's not an opinion, that's a matter of record. And what was wonderful in the tributes for Tommy, who sadly passed away last week, that one, there were two parts that, that, that really were just so wonderful. One was from the people in baseball and the players he impacted. Uh, the other one was from the fans that he impacted. And it's really been wonderful in social media. There isn't anyone that I know who ever met Tommy who doesn't have a memory of Tommy. I don't think today there's anyone who ever met Tommy or in, in, in the last couple of decades who doesn't have a picture with Tommy. Tommy gave so much in so many ways uh, to the game, uh, to the fans, to the community. And the beautiful part of that is that when you do that, it's recognized. And the tributes to Tommy uh, have been uh, just tremendous and will continue forever. When you think back as your time as a sports writer, and let's say you had to cover you and Tommy and, and that Dodgers era, how would you describe it? as a sports writer? Well, um, I, I don't, I never thought of it in those terms because I was so uh, involved. Uh, I think though that uh, history uh, overall has done a, a great job in that um, uh, description. The, it's interesting when I think of Tommy, and sports writing days. Tommy and I met in the spring of 1969. I was a writer, you reference writing, covering the Dodgers. So that was my relationship. Tommy was the manager of the Spokane team. And so um, we became very good friends very quickly. We would go out to dinner uh, any number of times during the week. And it was usually Tommy, myself, my dear friend, John Weebush, the late John Weebush, who covered for the LA Times, went on to great fame as an NFL uh, uh, marketing uh, executive, books uh, promotion. And usually there would be 
a scout who happened to be in time in town or in Dodger town, uh, or a uh, someone from the minor league system. So I got to know Tommy very well. And, and again, in one spring, we became very, very close. Uh, I didn't know that Tommy was going to become the manager. I certainly didn't know I was going to become the general manager, but I knew Tommy. So I um, probably mentioned, maybe even bragged a time or two that I had played a little high school baseball. And uh, he said, uh, Tommy loves to challenge people. He says, okay, uh, why don't you take infield with us one day? I said, okay, I'll do that. So, uh, and we, we were close, but this is Tommy. So one day early on in the spring, I'm about to get on the bus to go to Orlando to cover the Dodgers main uh, team uh, in a spring training game with the twins. Tommy's in a Spokane uniform. The bus is parked right near the field where Spokane is playing Bakersfield. So as I'm getting on the bus, he calls me and says, hey, Fred. Fred, he said, uh, I thought you said you wanted to play for us. We've, we've got an exhibition game today. Our, my Spokane team's playing Bakersfield. I said, Tommy, I said I wanted to take infield. Oh, he says, oh, so you're, you're not up to playing the game. He said, you, you, you don't mean what you said. He said, get on that bus and never mention it to me again. And like Tommy, you really don't want to challenge me. I said, okay, where do I get my uniforms? You, you go down and see Jim Muey, minor league clubhouse, and he'll give you a uniform. I said, okay. So, I, you know, I was relatively a young guy. I was as young as some of the players. I was 32, I guess. So I go down, I get my uniform, and I come back and I uh, said, okay, Tommy, I'm ready. He said, okay, go coach, uh, go warm up. So I warmed up. So now I've warmed up on the sideline. So now I come back again to the bench. This is a Spokane team with, among others, Bobby Valentine and Pishorik and any number of the Dodger greats to be. So he said, uh, okay, uh, go coach uh, first base. And I said, hey, Lasorda, I didn't come here to coach. He said, okay, pal, next inning, you go play shortstop and replace Bobby Valentine. I said, okay. This is covered in my book, Fred Clare, my 30 years in the Husband Blue. So uh, I replaced Bobby. And so I'm coming to bat and uh, uh, Bakersfield team has a young left-hander, uh, that uh, uh, I had heard about uh, who could uh, really throw. And uh, I get in the batter's box and I must've looked fairly good in my uniform. I was in fairly good shape. And the catcher looked up at me and he said, you were with the big club last year, weren't you? I said, hey kid, just have me throw the ball. And uh, they found my uh, weakness uh, immediately three fastballs and I was headed back to the bench. Billy Williams, the National League umpire, had been sitting on the bench with Tommy. When I came to bat, Billy said, uh, hey, Billy, wait till you see this guy. He's out of Stanford 
uh, we gave him a hundred thousand dollars. So after I struck out on three uh, pitches, Billy turned to Tommy and said, "Hey, Tommy, they paid that guy ninety-nine thousand nine hundred sums too much." But I stayed in the game, Alex. And as fate would have it, uh, we were only going to play seven innings, uh, and uh, stayed in the game. And on my last at bat, there was a man on second, Steve Soggy, a former USC quarterback who had become a catcher at double. There was two outs, and I was now coming to bat with the last hope. And I had to think to myself, I did think to myself, if somehow I get a hit and win this game, this is going to really be something. And fortunately, I had a little ball to right field. I thought sure it was going to drop. Just a flare, and the right footer came in, caught up, the game's over. So, a long story, but I think really a, a capsule of Tommy, myself, a friendship, a competitive feeling that carried on, um, certainly when I became a general manager. But we were together. And whatever the circumstance was, uh, once Tommy and I had our own visit, we walked out to the press or any place together. So I go missing forever uh, and um, feel so fortunate to have had such a um, wonderful friendship with him. And again, in, in this book, it touches on also the great relationship you two had together and again if you know the whole point of the podcast would be if this was the last interview and the importance as you said just your your gratitude towards life now getting to the point where you are right now it's kind of like you're testing out new things every single day um, you've gotten involved with podcasting and interviewing, kind of going back to your sports writing days and interviewing uh, people in, in sports and in this uh, baseball world. What did you take away most from your career as a sports writer? Uh, I think that uh, I, I loved uh the daily challenge of the job. I love the creative part of the job. I, I'm really tuned to things happening now, today. And as the sports editor of the Pomona paper, you walk in uh, the day's beginning and you have a blank sheet and you're going to take the writing that you and others have done, and you're going to lay it out, and it's going to go to press and think about it. That afternoon, you have your work right in front of you and everybody else to be judged. I love that. And I always thought, as hard as we worked and what we produced, how can we do that better tomorrow? And I took that same mind mindset 
into the world of baseball. We put together a team for a season, ultimately for a day's game. We are going to be judged harshly at times, deservedly at times. How can we do that better tomorrow? And so I don't think I would have been suited to be in a job where I work on something that may be produced five years from now. I, I don't have the patience to do that. I love being productive every day. And I think it's, a, uh, uh, it's an advantage to be judged for what you do every day and uh, to try to do it better uh, the next day. How do you gauge your uh, productivity? Uh, I, uh, I don't think about gauging it, but I will say the, uh, the most rewarding parts of whatever I do uh, is um, when I can um, be able somehow, some way to impact someone, hopefully in a, in a positive way. And it doesn't have to be a great number. It might be one person. That's, that's a pretty fulfilling day if you think about it. Think about the end of the year. We, we can impact one person every day. That's a good number at the end of the year. And that's how I think about it. Uh, I think that's really what's uh, important uh, because we're really making a contribution if we can do that. You know, I, I think there's many things about what you stand for. Um, do you feel like, I know you're still, you still, do you still watch baseball nowadays? Do you still, uh, how much do you watch today's game? I guess that's my question. I, I, um, I watch it uh, a lot and, and certainly in the postseason, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly with the Dodgers, I watch everything. With the other teams, not so much, but I, uh, uh, because of uh, friendships in the game and people involved in the game, that, uh, that I stay tuned uh, with the game. And um, uh, so I, I, that's always has been and will be um, in my blood. And so um, in reaching out to people in, um, in whatever ways uh, I stay in touch. Um, to, uh, to be able to reach out to um, uh, Dave Roberts uh, and offer my congratulations, or Andrew Friedman and offer my congratulations, or uh, getting a LinkedIn message, and so the, my main reason for being social media, a LinkedIn message or another social media on uh, Facebook or Twitter that a young, uh, a young player or any player or, um, or person uh, 
to be able to have that contact. Um, I, I love that part of it. It's my real reason for being on social media. I have two reasons. One is to promote our book, which benefits extra innings, which benefits City of Hope. Mm -hmm. And the other one is to main that, maintain that contact um, with friends. Uh, I uh, connected today on Facebook with the wonderful Ramon Martinez with such great memories of, uh, of Ramon uh, and his wonderful uh, family. Two other brothers, of course, who pitched for the Dodgers, the Hall of Famer Pedro, and uh, sadly, uh, his younger brother, Jesus, who uh, passed away. So that's very meaningful to me to have those uh, relationships uh, and friendships within the game, uh, not only with uh, with players or managers or general managers, but um, uh, coaches, scouts, very meaningful. You talk about just what means the most to you, and, and you mentioned this in the beginning of it, but it's simply transparency. Do you feel like there always needs to be more transparency in the game, especially right now? Well, uh, transparency uh, should be a requirement of any organization. Uh, transparency, credibility, integrity uh, in ourselves, uh, in the organizations that we're involved with, uh, and without going there fully, certainly in our government has never ever been more important. It has never ever been more challenged. And uh, so that's one thing that we need to um, strive for is, um, is transparency and is integrity and is, and is credibility. I remember in the financial crisis, I was really struck by the fact that uh, a number of people who were lawyers and accountants, people with real responsibilities, legally fiduciary, who later came out to say, I so regret what I did. I knew it was wrong, but I felt I had to do it. That is a very sad legacy. Most of us are fortunate to know right from wrong uh, and to, um, there's, I, I, it's, uh, I feel very bad for anyone who makes um, the wrong decisions in that regard because um, I, I just feel that's a very sad uh, script. Do you feel like you have to live almost every single day making sure you don't live with any regrets 
in life? Um, I try. I, I try. I mean, uh, all of us uh, fail at different times in different ways. Uh, but, um, you know, it's um, been said in different ways. And the wonderful Coach Wooden, a friend, um, used the memorable words, make each day your masterpiece. And so um, we don't always succeed. Our, um, our mindset, our temper, whatever it may be, uh, gets in the way at times for all of us. But I think we have a, um, no matter what the past is, we have an opportunity uh, to do better. And, uh, and if we're striving to do better, uh, I've certainly seen enough cases personally and through the media of, um, of what a wonderful thing that is of, um, of people striving to, um, to overcome uh, things that they regret that they did. Now you mentioned temper and I, I smile because in the foreword and extra innings, um, you had an encounter uh, um, with a, a Dodger. I, 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 th I want to hear you describe this because if I set it up, I don't think it will do the story justice. So I want you to tell the people listening to this podcast, if they never heard this story, they will now. But how would you describe this moment um, in your career? Well, um, thank you, Alex, for the mention of the book. And I'll give it a plug it's myself because that story that you mentioned of the um, little encounter that Kirk Gibson and I had is um, accurately reported in the foreword by the wonderful LA Times columnist, Bill Platchke, who I asked to do the foreword and had no idea what angle he would take. Um, but he decided to take the angle in describing me. I think his first words were, uh, Fred Clare is a fighter. And then he goes on to say, you may not recognize it, but I heard it and I know it. And uh, signing Kirk, uh, of course, before the 88 season proved to be such a uh, wonderful, memorable um, experience for all of us involved with the Dodgers. But after that wonderful 88 season, and in 89, uh, there were a number of things where Kirk wasn't happy with living in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, Michigan raised, and there was um, one incident where he was concerned about uh, his family and uh, an experience that uh, his wife had had with someone that was rather unsettling. So Kirk wanted to be traded and uh, made that known to me uh, that he uh, 
wanted to leave the Dodgers, return to the Midwest, made the request to me. And uh, I uh, heard his words and respected his words and told him that I would do what I could to move him to another team with great appreciation for what he had done for us, which was so much. Kirk is, uh, he's, uh, I'd say, restless, or that is to say, he wants um, things done as soon as they can be um, to try to uh, know that somebody is um, listening to him and uh, working uh, with him. So uh, on a Sunday morning, it was the Sunday before the All-Star break. The All-Star game was to be in Chicago. So I, as I recall, this had to be 1989. Kirk called me, asked if uh, I would come down to Tommy's office to talk to me. And uh, so I said, sure. So I came down, went into Tommy's office. There was Tommy behind his desk, Kirk. And he's, he started this discussion. Hey, Fred, I've told you, I want out of here. It's important to me. And he used the words, as I recall, you're not doing your job. And I said to Kirk, uh, you're, you're telling me how I'm going to do my job? No. Uh, you're not. We will make a move when that move makes sense for the Dodgers. That's my job. So voices were raised, and this is how Platchke and all the other writers, because they were going right through the clubhouse. So he said, uh, he uh, Kirk was now was really getting angry. He said, you, have you ever seen a big bear in the woods? And I said, no, do you know of any? And we're screaming at one another. And Crook and I have always had a great relationship. And uh, so uh, finally, uh, I leave Storm out of Tommy's office, as does uh, Kirk. And I think Plasky describes it. He ran into Tommy's office. What, what, what happened? What happened? Did Kirk hit Fred? And uh, Tommy said, no. I think it was going to be the other way around. <laughs> so at the All-Star break in Chicago, I'll never forget this, Alex. Uh, I uh, met with Kirk. I remember we went back in the, in the very small visiting clubhouse, as you can imagine, in Wrigley Field. We went back into the clubbies room. And uh, I said, uh, and I had talked to uh, Kirk's agent, Doug Baldwin. I said, Kirk, um, I said, it, it's, uh, I told you that, uh, uh, you know, I, I will respect your wishes and make a move when the right move is there for the Dodgers. That's my obligation. I said, and it's a good thing you've got a mild-mannered agent because you got a hell of a temper. And he said, Fred, don't tell me about my temper. When you got put your glasses on the top of your head and got in my face, don't tell me about my temper. But he said, I want to tell you something, Fred. I will give you and the Dodgers everything I have for as long as I'm here. And I said, I, I know you will, Kirk. And 
when Kirk fulfilled his contract with the Dodgers, he sent me his book signed um, with the statement that, Fred, I will always be grateful for what you did to bring me to the Dodgers. And you are a true Dodger in every way. So uh, we, we have, you know, uh, we have times when our, our tempers, but if we're using our emotion to um, fight for what we believe is the right thing or defending what we feel is the right position, uh, I, I think that too is important. N none of us should be bystanders and I have and no one or no, I won't say no one but in my journey with cancer I cannot possibly tell you how supportive Kirk has been to me with calls with text messages uh, with always being uh, supportive in so many ways and so he is a, a lifelong friend and I think when you have bonds and friendships, and even in the family, you are going to, you will have times where you have debates, disputes. But you know, Alex, one thing that's important, and um, this being the last interview, one thing I've learned is I've probably had more conflicts in some ways with the people I love the most than any other people in my life. And the reason for that is because I've cared about them. So I can't help but be emotional about people that I love. And Tommy and I had our conflicts. But the last words I said to him and he said to me were, I love you. And um, so in, in uh, love is a passion that can bring, uh, doesn't always, <laughs> I don't think it ever sails smoothly. Hopefully in some cases it does. Uh, but we we need we need to um, we we need to recognize that, but we also need to know. Uh, in our last interview, with those people that we truly love, better be darn sure we tell them. Better be darn sure we tell them, and that's always a nice reason for when you're speaking to someone that you do love whoever that may be, to say, I love you, because that may be the last words you get a chance to say. Those were the last words I said to Tommy. You bring up family, and I don't think we would be doing the last interview justice if we don't mention your wife, Cheryl. How much has she meant to you 
throughout not just your career, but in these last four to five years with your battle with cancer? Well, the um, uh, Cheryl has uh, always uh, been there. And the wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things about the book Extra Innings is that one can go to the reviews on Amazon. It seems to me there are two main themes. One is City Hope must be quite a place. And two is Cheryl must be quite a caregiver. And that seems to be the case in my mind. And if that's true with the readers, I know we will have hit a home run. Because this, and I told the author and I told the publisher, this is not going to be a Fred book. That book's on the shelf. This needs to be a book about the city of hope, about patience, and most important, about caregivers. Because caregivers are the unsung heroes for any patient in any battle, be it cancer, be it COVID, be it whatever the condition might be. And I have so much respect uh, for those who care for others and what they contribute to other lives. I, and before COVID, in four years, and there were some years when Cheryl and I were going to City of Hope literally 100 out of 300 and some days a year. Never walked in there without Cheryl holding my hand by my side. So she is the um, uh, she is um, the hero uh, for me. And um, when I can remember, I signed my first book 20 years ago to Cheryl, my 30 years in Dodger Blue. In that book, I signed you are the wind beneath my wings. And uh, that wind um, has been there um, more than always there and more than ever, ever because it was more needed than ever during the last four to five years uh, in a battle uh, with cancer. But I guess my last question for you on the last interview is simple. If someone asks you, who is Fred Clare? What would you tell them? Well, I, um, pretty basic. Um, he, um, he tried to do his best. That would be uh, good enough uh, for me that um, the things that um, he did uh, he gave it what he had. He, he tried to do his best. That's good enough. I love it. But Fred, I want to say thank you for coming on this podcast. Like I said in the beginning of this, there isn't anyone better to start off this podcast journey uh, than you. Um, you still mentioned that you are very active on social media, very active podcasting. Uh, and then again, your book, Extra Innings, which talked about the city of hope um, and, and the great people working there. Where can people get the book, follow you on social media, 
and follow along through you um, right now. The book is available uh, on Amazon. Uh, Fred Clare, uh, 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 Finding uh, a World Championship Team uh, uh, at City of Hope. Uh, the, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and um, Facebook. And um, welcome any uh, thoughts and certainly uh, welcome and appreciate all of the support that the book Extra Innings uh, has received because all of the net proceeds go to City of Hope. And I, when I continue to go into City of Hope now, not on a regular basis, but on an occasional basis for occupational uh, therapy, I see the impact that COVID has made in terms of loved ones that we've talked about not being able to go in with the patients except in an absolute necessity. So my goal is to do everything I can to help uh, the greatest team uh, that I've ever been a part of, the team at City of Hope. Absolutely, but Fred, thank you again for coming on uh, the first, last interview podcast. Thank you, Alex. Uh, it was a pleasure and honor to uh, to be able to do this.